Celebrate the power of words. Braille helps to foster learning, literacy, and community. Okay. <laughs> I just try to make everybody laugh, look at the bright side of everything, and just try to stay positive. I love kids. Good. I always have, and that's my passion. We're just going to throw a few facts at you that you might find a little interesting and fun. We have uh, we had the 20 and the 40, the BI 20 and 40, and of course the, the chameleon and mantis. So we're going to stretch out that, that tempo and we're going to stretch it all the way out, just like you would with they made these like fun little camping lessons. Uh. Yesterday, I think I did relatively well. I tell students with the Braille Rider, if you notice the paper's going in wrong, uh, wrong if it's going in incorrectly, do not keep rolling it in. You know, That's right. Abort missions. And graduated exactly 10 years later, class of 86. The rules of the game. Welcome to the February edition of the OSSB podcast. We got a lot of great things going on this month, guys. You guys are going to enjoy it. We celebrate World Read Aloud Day and catch you up with the Braille Challenge. We bring you some more facts about the month of February. I wonder what is the latest goings on at Humanware. We got a visit from Brian Gomer and Joel Zimba. Of course, we will let you know about cheerleading and basketball and how those seasons went. We give a big shout out to the nursing staff and meet a new nurse. We will conclude the podcast with some radio theater. We will present Harry Tutman on trial. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the podcast. The February edition of the OSSB podcast is a little lengthier than most episodes, but remember that we have chapter indexing, so you can show those chapters down at the bottom of your podcast app and go to the segment that you want to listen to, but we hope you listen to the entire thing. World Read Aloud Day motivates children, teens, and adults to celebrate the power of words. This global literacy movement is about taking action to show the world that the right to read and write belongs to all people. World Read Aloud Day began in 2010 and was created by Litzworld. They promote literacy around the world. World Read Aloud Day asks everyone to celebrate by grabbing a book, finding an audience, and reading out loud. World Read Aloud Day is on the first Wednesday in February. In Miss McCummer's class, we listened to people read books in person, or they made a video for us to watch or listen to. We read five books in three chapters. Mr. Kelly read Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. We read chapter 21 of Out of Miss Kaplan read chapter one of the Phantom Tobus. Miss Cat read It's Okay to Be a Unicorn. Mr. James read us a book about Jackie Robinson. We also read chapter 22 of My Mind. My favorite book was. Princesses Do Not Bite 
by Marie McCumber. Miss K read the snowy day. We have a tower of books outside our class door. Every time we read or listen to a book, it gets added to the tower. Our goal is to fill the wall with books. There is power in books. When you read, you gain knowledge. When we listen to people read, it helps us read better, smoother, and faster. It is super fun to read because you can learn anything. Hello, this is Emmy Bennett, and I would like to discuss what Braille means to me. Braille helps to foster learning literacy, and community. It is the reason that I, as a visually impaired student, have been able to receive an education comparable to my sighted peers. Braille has also allowed me to participate in games and other recreational activities thanks to the many products and services created for blind students and adults. As a student who does computer programming regularly, Braille, and more specifically, my refreshable Braille display, has helped make the task of editing and debugging my code easier and more efficient. In a nutshell, Braille for me means independence and greater opportunities for me to learn and grow as a member of society, and I have a lot of editing to do. All right, so this is a segment that is long overdue, and we're finally going to do it on the February edition of the podcast, and it is a shout-out to the nurses and the and this nursing staff at OSSB. So we're going to go down to the front lines, and we're going to go into the nurses' station, and we're going to talk to Miss Nurse Angela and Mr. Uger, who is one of our newest nurse staff members here at OSSB. Hi, Miss Angela. Hello. Glad glad you could join us today. Okay. I'm telling you, these are the hardest working folks that I know, especially over the last year or so, uh, dealing with the pandemic. Because not only do you have to dispense meds and you have to go get folks when they're not feeling good, but you've also had to deal with all the pandemic stuff, right? Yes. Okay. And now the first question I'm going to ask you is, all this hard work that you're doing, how do you manage to keep this sunny disposition and this good mood that you keep all the time? Well, I just try to make everybody laugh, look at the bright side of everything, and just try to stay positive. That's good. That's good. And that, that'll that'll just help you feel better anyway, right? Mm-hmm. It's all a mindset. It is. So how has things changed in terms, you know, of what you have to do because of the pandemic around here? Well, I guess the hardest thing for me is not hugging the kids mm-hmm. because I did that a lot before. and. Yeah. Another thing is just dealing with the stress that the staff and the kids um, have just because of COVID, not necessarily because it's, you know, they have it, but just the stress around, am I going to get it or, you know. It seems like there's a lot to balance. Oh, yeah. Because wondering if people do have it or wondering. I remember a lot of it was, what do I need to do to reduce exposure? Right. Yes. Or, or, and, you know, and they were, you were like a mainstay, like people were coming to you mm-hmm. and asking you all these questions. 
and you probably got tired of it. Like, man, just go on out of here. Just keep the room clean. Oh, no, no. <laughs> you know what? I, I just answer them to the best of my ability. Yeah. And if I can't answer a question, then I always refer to our COVID re- reporter or our website yeah. that has all the COVID stuff on it. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes out. We get that through email too mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. But, um, but this is kind of like been the hub because, uh, we started a, uh, a voluntary pool testing for staff. Was that, was it last spring? Yes. It was to help with safety and exposure. So, mm-hmm. um, that was something that started as a pilot program. Now everybody is um, kind of required to do it. For the most part, everybody's been very positive about it. I don't think anybody is really, you know, against it. Right. I just think that it gets a little tedious to come down every week sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's easy to forget to do. Yeah. But it only takes like 30 seconds to do it. And you guys have just been extremely helpful. It's with me anyway, when yeah. I come in to do it, you know, yeah. and get my swab and get my name written down and, mm-hmm. and do all that stuff. And what happens if you get somebody that, that does do a rapid or whatever and they test positive? Well, unfortunately, we have to, you know, let them know. Yep. Um, and then they have to go through the, the, the normal quarantine. Yeah. And we, we get, we refer them to our COVID reporter most of the time, but they also are concerned about guidelines and right. contact tracing and all that. So we, we do refer to our COVID reporter for those things. Do we but we get, just try to be supportive. Yeah. So we do, we got a, like a quarantine room here or something until they can get picked up or. Are you talking about our kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I the kind of kids, switched gears yes. on you. I'm yes, sorry. Yes, we do. We do have um, uh, isolation for the kids. And then for the staff, we just, you know, let them know that, you know, they need to go home and stay away from other people for, you know, the time period that they need yeah. to quarantine. Um, the kids, we have parents sometimes who can't pick them up late at night. They'll stay maybe overnight and the parent will come in the morning. Mm-hmm. But the, for the most part, the parents have been pretty good about coming to get them. Yeah. How has it affected your normal daily schedule? Um, well, we do. just... We just have to kind of juggle a lot and keep all the balls in the air, and every day is a new day, and we never know what we're going to be dealing with. Yeah. Well, I know that, you know, the staff and students really appreciate what you guys do down here, and I just want to say a big thanks for everything that you have been doing and the things that you're continuing to do. You know, like you said, it does change, and it seems like one day, you know, the expectations will change again, and and you just keep a smile on, and and you're very positive and very hardworking, and we just want to say thanks, and we appreciate it. Thank you. And, um, I'm gonna let Uger say something. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna meet we're gonna meet Uger here. Okay. All right. Uger is one of our newest nurses. You started when? You started here. The official start date is January third. All right. So you know, Happy New Year, Happy Uger, Happy Uger year. He has started. Are you you're full time? I am part time. You part time, part time. So do. Do you work as needed kind of a thing or? No, I have a, I have a schedule, so I work shorter hours. Okay. All right. So you're here mainly during the day? During the day. Yeah, I always see you down here. Thank you. Yeah, he's a bright and shining star too. He's always smiling and laughing. Life is too short. Life is too short. Yeah. Life is too short. Where are you from? Well, I moved from North Carolina. been there for a long time. Yeah. Uh, my homeland is Turkey. So. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, we, you and I, do you, do you like to eat barbecue? Because I know down in North Carolina, oh, yeah. they're all about barbecue down there. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of southern food, a lot of barbecue. <laughs> I, I did not grill a lot, but yes, southern, yeah. southern food is, southern food definitely different. So I'm not sure if I'm going to ask the question the right way, but what kind of nursing were you involved in before coming here to OSSB? I was a, what we call in nursing, medical, surgical nursing, about 15 months with geriatric population, kind of elderly, and then I moved to a, 12 years, I moved to a pulmonary infectious disease, and oh. then 2018, I took a leap of faith in education. So before wow. I came here, my last job was nursing instructor at a community college. Mm-hmm. And last year, actually, interim chair of the Department of Nursing where I was. Ah. So, uh, but yes, are, are mainly med search. Yeah, are you, are you liking the change, working with school kids? I love kids. Good. I always have, and that's my passion. Yeah. Teaching yeah. and kids and I don't know about the snow and the cold, but the rest is good. I'm with you, brother. I don't like I, I don't like this weather. And the snow, you know, I can deal with snow, but I hate the ice. And Columbus gets a lot of that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get a lot of ice up here. Uh, you have any kids of your own? I have one son. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. How about you? You got kids too, Miss Angela, right? Bunch. Yeah. I have four kids and seven grandkids. Oh, she's got a gaggle. She's got a, <laughs> like a flock. She's got uh, you yeah. know a herd, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Now, now kids are great. That's why we're here, and certainly welcome you aboard. Thank you. And I appreciate you know we appreciate all your hard work and what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks uh-huh. for doing this. And it's a two-way street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you too, so. Yeah, anything we can do. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Hey, everyone. It's the OSSB podcast team again. And like always, we're just going to throw a few facts at you that you might find a little interesting or fun. February fluctuates between having 28 and 29 days. The 29th day only occurs every four years during the leap years. In 713 BC, February was officially added to the Roman calendar. At one point, February had as little as 23 days. February is actually one of the most misspelled words in the English language, believe it or not. February has been Black History Month for over 40 years. February is National Snack Food Month. Valentine's Day was first celebrated around the year 500. On February 1st of 1865, the 13th Amendment was officially approved, which abolished slavery. February 29th is National Frog Legs Day. And the birthstone for February month is the Amethyst. The odds of being born on February 29th are about 1 in 1,461. And those are your February facts. Okay, on this next segment of the podcast, we are honored to have a visit from two guys from Humanware, Joel Zimba and Brian Gomer. Welcome to the podcast this morning, guys. Thank you. 
lot of great things happening with humanware that you're going to share with us today. Some new products. So actually, we had uh, Joel and Peter Tusick on the podcast, the March podcast. I think it was two years ago. Yeah, was it was it early 2020 or was it 19? It must. Have it had to be 19 because we closed down. 2020 pretty yeah. quick. Yeah, it had to be 19. Um, so I believe it was 19. So it's three years ago. And we were talking about the Chameleon and the Mantis and the BI-20. And I can't remember if we were t- we were talking about the BI-40 a little BI-40, bit. BI-40, yeah. Yeah. So you have some updates on those products and maybe some new things that are happening. Which one of you guys wants to... I'll let Joel lead. He seems to have it sit there in yeah, his hands a, at the moment. Got so, a yeah. pile of equipment here. So. Okay. All right. <laughs> Joel, take it away. Sure. So, as you mentioned, uh, we have uh, we had the 20 and the 40, the BI 20 and 40, and of course the, the Chameleon and Mantis. And they had not yet landed. So, since then, we have had two big years of Braille. Um, all of those products were, were launched. More Braille devices hit the market in the last two years than probably the last. I don't know, 10, 15, or 20 years, mm-hmm. right? It was, a, it was a busy year for Braille readers and Braille users and, and Braille, Braille sales. In fact, in November or December, we came out with a new version of the software for all of the devices, the 20, the 40, and the Mantis and Chameleon. We added in support for uh, terminal clipboards, a whole bunch of other little fixes, and preparing for a major update that I can't talk about too much because I haven't seen it to be able to talk about it. Right. <laughs> that's that's going to happen in March, so be on the lookout for that. Toward the end of January, we're going to have an update to the BrailleNote Touch Plus that is going to add a new file manager. It's going to really update key files, which hasn't been touched since the launch of the device. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have a new app uh, that's going to be it's going to work on presenting slides or, or reading through slide presentations a little bit better. Oh, that'll be good. So, yeah, if you think back to on the Apex, you were able to pull up a PowerPoint presentation and read through the slides and read through the notes in a, in a reasonable fashion. Mm-hmm. You remember that, Dan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're going we're gonna to return to the roots a little bit. And, and later down the road, we have bigger plans. Maybe soon you'll be able to present with that app as well and and then edit those slides in a more coherent fashion than you can do right now with just running PowerPoint on the Braille Note or using slides. Can you elaborate on the file manager at all? Sure. Um, If you've ever used the Android File Manager or the Apple Files app on iPad or the iPhone, you're going to have a sense of what it's going to be like. So all your familiar cloud services, Google Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive will be part of your file system. And we're going to have a bunch of new keystrokes and ways of moving around through the file system. And it's, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. It's, I think it's going to be just a more modern, coherent way of learning to, to manage the file system, both on your device and in the cloud. So imagine if you will, hopping into a shared folder in Google Drive and just moving your your documents there rather mm-hmm. than having to upload them. Right. Oh, that's that, going to be exciting. Yeah, even jumping into a shared folder and pulling things out. Do you guys use Classroom? Yes, yes so, all the time. So as you, as you may know, in Google Classroom, all of those files end up in a Classroom folder mm-hmm. in your Google Drive. 
and you can go browse those files and grab them as you need them rather than logging into classroom and going to the assignment and downloading them and doing all that. It'll be a much more direct means of, of dealing with, with, mm. those, uh, with those documents and, so, and assignments. And you mentioned OneDrive as well as Dropbox. Dropbox, OneDrive, yeah. OneDrive and Dropbox will be in there. If you guys are big Office 365 users, you all have a OneDrive, and that is alive and well. And uh, don't see too many. You, you mentioned Dropbox, Dan. Yeah, we're using Dropbox yeah. here. Um, we're, podcast team is using Dropbox Great. to store and access our files. And we're actually using it as a staff uh, just because it's, you know, it's one. It's way more accessible than SharePoint. Oh, yeah, than SharePoint. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, you know, yeah. so uh, we had to have a way for everybody to find what they needed, um, and SharePoint was a little cumbersome. So we decided to go the Dropbox route, and it's been working out real well. Yeah, you have the uh, the corporate Dropbox. Yeah, it's like what yeah. ten terabytes or something. No, it's, <laughs> it's unlimited. Yeah. Okay. It's Good. unlimited. Good. The Dropbox for business. It's uh, you get unlimited storage. So. But what you, about the dreaded two-factor authentication? Will that be supported? I haven't seen that um, with Dropbox yet. I've been seeing that with Google accounts. But yeah. it hasn't affected our school Google accounts um, because those are integrated with Azure and, and Office 365. Uh, but I've been seeing that a lot with clients' Google accounts that I work with. Yeah, they're forcing that, school. it seems like, yeah. right now. Kind so of with, with Microsoft accounts... Uh, what you end up doing is you use a tool called Microsoft Authenticator right. to do that. And once you get the account added to to a device, to your Braille note, it's going to use that same login, that same account to do the file management. So oh. once you once you actually get the the account created on the device, you don't have to do anything special yeah. to get that working. You have to just authenticate once, yeah. and then you're good. Yeah, it's the same as if you added Gmail then the, the Google Drive associated with that Gmail account is just going to magically appear in your, in your file system. Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting. How about with, um, are, are, we, are you guys doing anything more with uh, accessing PDF files? Because I know that was big. Um, a couple of updates back with the touch. Sure, we made the, the update to where you could edit the text. It'll pull it into keywords. So yeah, okay. we are... We're coming to a point, Dan, where we're starting to bring in some of our other tools that exist on other platforms, think Prodigy software and the way they manage PDFs. So later this year, I would, I would expect you could see some, some changes where we bring in some of our in-house software to work more effectively with some of that. Ah. I have seen nothing yet, but, okay. but, but, right. I have a, but I have a feeling we're moving in that direction. Okay. And uh, just a teaser that sometime later this spring... There will be a, a new device from from Humanware showing up. Not oh, not a Braille device. Not a Braille device. We're gonna we're taking device. we're taking a a sabbatical from new Braille devices for just a little while. Okay. And uh, this is gonna be an, an all new device coming out later this spring. So uh, maybe I'll come back on your podcast. We can <laughs> we can do something. That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds great. I know that with. The pandemic and people learning from home, there are ways to view and possibly access uh, things on the Braille Note Touch Plus remotely. Indeed. Right? That's, that's kind of a, a newer thing. And actually, kind of what made me think of that is there's going to be a Braille Note workshop down here uh, with Ocali, and that was one of the things yeah. on the agenda. Was When's that? I don't remember the date. Um, 
You know Brian? I do not know. No. <laughs> Man, you got left out of the loop. I got on that, left right? out of the loop yeah, on that one. Let yeah. us know. He might show up. Yeah. You I'll never know. That, yeah, I'll pull that up and then. Yeah, or I can at least do a virtual session or something if you want to do that. Yeah. So yeah, I'd be glad to. Um I'm thinking it's like next week. It's like the seventeenth or eighteenth or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'll find that out. For uh, sure. Okay, so how about on the low vision side of things? Low vision line of things, uh, we still have the Reveal 16, uh, which is a, a digital magnifier, 16-inch screen, high definition, um, semi-portable. It's about 16 pounds as well, so it's uh, not as lightweight as the Connect 12 that we were so well-known for. Um as Joel said, the Prodigy software is available on the 16i. The 16i will give you all those abilities to scan a document, have it read to you, complete PDF documents with a CCTV, and send those via cloud to a OneDrive or a Google account or wherever you want to do, email. Then the newest thing that was released, uh, that was basically released here in January, um, has been the new... It's an Explore 12, so it's a 12-inch portable unit. Um, Does not have OCR, but it does come with a stand, so you can read books underneath the device, as well as you can take it out of the stand and look at distance as well. Right now on the Explore line, we have the Explore 5, the Explore 8 with an 8-inch screen, and now the Explore 12 that is coming out soon. Okay. All right. So is is the Explore 12, is it using the same camera and all that as the 8? It's a more, it's a better quality camera. It's a very good image as far as looking at things and things like that. Um, so yeah, you'll see uh, some differences, I think, on that end for sure. Okay, that sounds great. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that. Anything else going on, low vision wise, or low vision wise? Not at the moment. No, not that I have heard on anything beyond that. I mean, really, the exciting thing is getting this Explore Twelve out. Yeah. Um, and seeing what it, you know, how all it fits. Well, I think it's a good. It sounds to me like it, it is a good portable device if you if you don't need a huge screen, uh, but you need something that's bigger than, you know, just a handheld magnifier. Maybe this might fit the bill. I think so. I think everyone's looking for something portable. I mean, I think that's the biggest trick. And I mean, this is lightweight uh, as well as you can carry this with the stand or without the stand. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the portability is what everybody's after right. um, on any CCTV. I mean, you you want to be able to read on the go. You don't want to have to sit at a corner of a table or wherever it may be and have to, you know, have something read to you. You don't want to leave it in your dorm room like we did in college. No, you don't yeah, want to leave it in your dorm room. <laughs> Only be able to read in your dorm room, that's for sure, yes. It's, those days are gone. Yeah. Well, that is some exciting news coming out of HumanWare. Um, anything else either one of you guys would like to add this morning? Can I add one thing? And add it, yeah. So this is a this is a bit of nostalgia in that you guys are reporting, recording your your podcast and you've had it going for for a while now. How many years? Oh, I took it over in seventeen. Okay, so a while. So yeah. when I was in school and I was a wee lad, we had a radio station at the West Virginia School for the Blind, and I, I think it is no more. No, but. Uh, from something like sixth grade on a couple of nights a week. I was, I was spinning records and, and working a mixer. And I, I love that you guys are doing the modern incarnation of that. Yeah. I, I think that's very cool. Yeah, I think they were working you. on bringing it back. Well, All right. Yeah. We oh, had, that's great. We had a radio station, uh, here too. 
And I think if we bring it back, we're going to make it an internet radio station mm-hmm. and, and go that route um, versus using getting the transmitter out and trying to find all those old parts and pieces and stuff. Yeah. Someone who and really it, can run that is expensive and hard to find, and then the equipment yeah, is a thing. And, and the internet internet yeah. radio station is so easy to do, and you can incorporate it into your you know Apple Music or your Amazon Music and, and draw playlists out of that. And, um, yeah, and so I, you know, we've been talking about services. that. Been talking about that for a couple of years. Yeah, so. That's great. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate you guys coming here and taking some time to get on the show and talk about. Uh, the new innovations that are coming our way because uh, they really be- benefit the blind and low vision community around the world and that's quite a reach so uh, yeah thank you so much thanks for having us I'm interviewing Mr. Kelly for Braille Challenge good morning Jonathan good morning what is Braille Challenge? Well, the Braille Challenge is set up by the National Braille Institute, and it's uh, I'm not sure how long it's been going on, and it's been really big in the United States for a number of years. Each state has one or more regional Braille Challenges, and if a contestant in the Braille Challenges places high enough, then they can go on to compete in the National Braille Challenge which is held in California uh, during the summer. Cool. Why do we have Braille Challenge? Well, Braille Challenge is an opportunity for uh, students to use their Braille to compete. So it's sort of like an academic challenge in a sense, but it's really looking at the inside and outside of Braille and, and how it works. So there are different categories that a student can compete in. For instance, reading comprehension, where you read a passage or two and then you answer some questions about the passage. And there's also proofreading, where you have to read some Braille and identify all the mistakes that were made and answer questions and correctly identify those mistakes. There are charts and graphs where you have to, you know, look at bar graphs, you know, different shapes and things like that and get an idea of the information that's presented in that format. So you have to use the charts and graphs to find the answers to the question. Do that. And then we also have speed and accuracy for the older kids where they listen to an audio recording and it's like dictation. They have to write down what is spoken on the recording. And for the younger kids, there's a spelling contest. Okay. What do you think is important about Braille Challenge? One, it gives a legitimacy to the tools that we use as Braille users. It gives a legitimacy to Braille. Um, it raises awareness about Louis Braille and his invention of the Braille code. It's a tangible, extrinsic, and intrinsic way for students to improve their Braille skills because when you win, you know, you're getting that recognition, which is sort of intrinsic. There's also some extrinsic value there too because there's cash prizes, there's gift cards, things like that that you can win when you compete and participate in the Braille Challenge. Okay. How would one sign up for it? We get information from the Clover Nook Center for the Blind in Cincinnati every year. Basically, the teachers get this information. It's like, I coordinate the Braille Challenge here at OSSB and we send the information out to all the teachers here and then the teachers talk to the students and students get a sign-up form and they take it home, get their parents to sign it, their guardians to sign it. And then the TVI, the teachers, will then indicate at what level the student will compete because there's different levels um, of competition. The very beginning, pre-Braille, 
is the explorer level. Okay. And this is just, you know, people that are just learning braille, getting exposed to braille. You do a lot of tactile activities, um, that get you going with the concepts of, you know, reading braille with your fingers. Then next we have the apprentice level. And this is for very young braille readers, very new braille readers. They have a, contracted braille and uncontracted braille version of that. And then we get into the freshman, sophomore, which are your fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, your junior varsity, which is seven, eight, nine, and then varsity, which is 10, 11, 12. Okay. That is all the questions I have. Okay. But we've been doing the Braille Challenge here at OSSB for a long time. It started where individual teachers would administer the Braille Challenge in their classrooms. So Ms. Finley, Ms. Perano, Miss Butler, they used to do that on their own. And then the Clovernook Center took it over, I believe, in 2016. Okay. And, yep, we started traveling to Cincinnati, so it was a big deal. We would get on the bus, we would go down to Cincinnati. They really did it up right down there. Everybody who competed was just treated like royalty, almost. Uh, you go in, and they had a parade of sorts where everybody would line up in their categories and walk in and be recognized by everybody in the audience. And there was a huge huge opening ceremony and the mayor would come in from Cincinnati or one of his staff and declare it Braille Literacy Day, uh, you know, whatever day the Braille Challenge was taking place. It was very formal. Uh, we had a color guard that would come in and present the flag and present the colors. We would sing the national anthem. We would do the, the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and it's very well done. And uh, due to the pandemic, we're not able to travel this year. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do the Braille Challenge right here at OSSB. Okay. It'll follow that format a little bit. The theme this year is camping on the Braille Trail, and it was picked. Well, we had students here who entered that contest as well. I think we had eight or nine folks who submitted um, entries for that, but a student down in Cincinnati won the contest with camping on the Braille Trail. So we're going to do a whole school-wide activity on February 22nd, and all the activities that are going on will be based on the theme of camping. Okay. And we're in the planning stages of that right now. One activity that's going to take place is going to be in the gym. You know, if students have never learned how to set up a tent before, that'll be one of the activities. we got two or three tents that uh, different styles and makes that students can learn how to set up, prepare the inside of the tent, maybe get an air mattress blown up if, or, or set up a cot and get the sleeping bag unrolled, that kind of thing. And then also how to pack that stuff back up. Right. Uh, some other activities are going to include making camp food like s'mores, uh, maybe some kind of stew or foil packets or homemade pizza, the fire. And we'll also do some campfire stories or songs, do some board games. Because I know when I go camping with my family, we always take some cards with us or board games or something and, and play that. Um, so we're just, we're just going to have a good time. It's going to be a great day. Um, the teachers are really excited about it, and I know the students are going to have a lot of fun during that time. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be. If you're not having fun camping. Yeah, so we're excited about doing the Braille Challenge here at OSSB this year, and who knows what that'll grow into. But the teachers and the students are very excited about what's going to happen on February 22nd, 2022. Up next, let's drop into the gym on Braille Challenge Day and see how Mr. Grimm set up the gym like a campground. Listen to how he's instructing people on setting up a tent. That's a good sized tent there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was gonna. I was thinking about bringing mine, but I think mine has to be staked. Hey there, sunshine. It's Trayvon. You down here learning how to camp? Yeah. Yeah. You setting up a tent? Setting up tents. Yeah. Yeah. Rolling up sleeping bag. What else is doing down here? <laughs> So I'm going to stretch out that, that temple. I'm going to stretch it all the way out. Just like you would with a cane. Okay, yeah. 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 What do you yeah. think, Elaine? Yeah. Thread it through the sleeves. And we are back with the OSSB podcast team. And it is a day post Braille challenge. And we're just going to talk about yesterday and what you guys thought of. Uh, we have one one person in here, Emmy, she competed. And Jonathan and Larry uh, was able to go around and do all the camping activities. And Mr. Strickland was a proctor. And and um, I was sort of in the on the bridge, so to speak. Uh, just making sure everything was going the way it was supposed to was supposed to go. So um, let's. Uh, what did you, you guys think? How, how, how did you guys feel about yesterday? Um, it was a real fun and interesting experience. Uh, usually, during camping is not something that's usually fun for me. I like the process of camping, but like trying to learn about it seems kind of like a drag for me. But no, they made they made. These like fun little camping lessons. Uh, there was one where it wasn't really a lesson, but we made a uh, like sort of like a s'mores thing mm. in ILS where it was a pretzel, dark chocolate, thing, more chocolate, golden graham cereal, oh, and like man. marshmallows. And like we, I, we like put in like. Long story short, we just mixed it together, and then we had, like, a little snack. Yeah, well, so did yeah, you do it, like, in a foil thing and then heat it up, sort of? It, we, didn't, we didn't. I don't remember heating it up. Oh, you, no, we did. You had to melt up. the marshmallow, right? Oh, yeah, no, we, yeah, we heated the marsh, um, yeah, I mean, that's marshmallow. A, that's what a s'more is, that marshmallow and chocolate. Ah. Yeah. Right, uh, getting those things melted with that graham cracker stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, uh, they set the gym up like a campground down there. Oh, yeah, that was... It was a really fun experience. Uh, me and another student, they had like these like lawn chairs out there. So while everyone was pretending to like set it up, me and one other student were just jokingly sitting back there like, yeah, hey, good, good luck, guys. Or just sat in the back. <laughs> uh, oh, that's got to carry your weight camping, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So um, how about you, Jonathan? What you what'd you take away from yesterday? It was fun to learn how to set up a tent and just see how it was all done. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Mr. Grimm, that was a hit down there in the gym. So he had, they had all kind of tents down there. He brought in this real big one that was like a two-room tent, and you could probably put 12 people in there. And we had a few little ones, smaller ones. What right. what'd y'all do down in the library yesterday? So like, down in the library, it, it was just, it was, just, I, I guess it was just sort of like a relaxing, uh, Miss Kalstrom set up a, like a, a tent near like the reading corner. Mm, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah and there, a few people kind of just sat in there. It, it, I think it was just like a unwinding kind of thing. There you go. Well, that's part of camping. Yeah. Relaxing. Yeah. When you get all the work done. You kick back and relax a little bit. They had um, some tents set up down there, some tents, some chairs, 
Uh, they even had a uh, big speaker playing with some uh, camping sounds and some some uh, like fun- nature. Yeah, like kind of a bonfire sound, right? Uh, yeah. The crackling. So you had that ambiance when you went in there. It was it was a good time. Oh, that's neat. That sounds neat. Yeah, I, I made it around to most of the places, but I was in the library briefly to snag a couple of extra talking book players, but I didn't really get to hang out down there too much. Oh man, we had to round up a lot of technology for that. <laughs> yeah, we did. That and the Braille writers. Yeah. So, uh, Emmy, you, you competed at a varsity level this year. How'd it go? I think it couldn't have gone any more smoothly. I mean, I had a brailler break in the middle of one of my contests, but honestly, besides that brailler breaking in the middle of the contest, that couldn't have gone any more smoothly, I think. I'm definitely still a little bit tired, but I think that's normal. I think that like uh i think that i put a lot of effort into competing uh mm. yesterday i think i did relatively well but yeah it went really smoothly we did four contest categories i don't know if anyone's covered those but we participated in four contest categories you want to tell us about what they were sure yes so in the braille challenge we compete in Four rounds. So in the morning, we had a speed and accuracy and a charts and graphs. Speed and accuracy is really you have 25 minutes and you have to write as much braille as accurately as you can. And then charts and graphs is somewhat self-explanatory. You read charts and graphs and you have to answer as many questions as you can about them. Again, that's 25 minutes. I believe all of these all are of 25 them. minutes. Is yep, that correct? All, yep. All of them are 25 minutes. Yes. All of them are 25 minutes. Reading comprehension, which is role. Reading comprehension. You have to read passages and once you do that, you have to answer as many questions as you can. And then... You have uh, proofreading. Proofreading, yes, proofreading. You edit work. Look for braille errors. Look for punctuation, spelling, braille contraction errors. Anything that's just flat out wrong, and you have to find as many errors correctly as you can. Again, right. twenty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Uh, you, everybody did real well yesterday, and from. Administering the test, it went really smooth. Um, had a lot of help from Mrs. Grimm and Mrs. Barden last week, putting all the packets together and making sure all the forms were filled out the way they needed to be filled out. And we used all the, we used a lot of the high, five of the high school classrooms for the competition yesterday. And, uh, so we got all the rooms set up the way they needed to be with all the tests and all the braille brailers and the talking book players. And, uh, we only had a couple of, couple of small things, uh, which was easily fixed. I was able to do that. And, uh, it was a great day. Big shout out to the Clovernook people for coming up and helping out. Uh, we had Miss Kathy Delora come up and Miss Stephanie Jones, who's actually from Tennessee. And she's always a lot of fun. Uh, she ran the explorers group. So our groups were explorers, which are pre-braille and just starting braille. And we have the apprentice, freshman, sophomore, junior varsity, and varsity. And Emmy was at the varsity level. Right? All right. Mr. Strickland, how was it being a proctor? 
Oh my goodness, I have a lot to say, so I'll try to be concise. Um, it was it was fun. I've been wanting to be a proctor for a while, uh, and so I was s- super excited to finally have the opportunity. You know, like you were saying, you do run into a couple hiccups here and there. We had one student that had trouble uh, with the roller, getting the paper to roll into the Braille rider. Uh, mm. But we were able to work through that, find a strategy to resolve that. And, uh, you know, I tell students with the Braille rider, if you notice the paper's going in wrong, uh, wrong if it's going in cr- incorrectly, do not keep rolling it in. You know, That's right. Abort mission. It's not going to fix itself. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but I had a lot of fun with that. You know, I, I noticed with these tests that, uh, you know, especially with that speed and accuracy test, you have to be able to operate the NLS book player, you know, to rewind, uh, fast forward, play it. Uh, you have to be able to use your, uh, good active listening skills all at the same time while you're brailing, while you're operating the manual braille rider. Point being, it feels like you bring in a lot of varied skills into this. Mm-hmm. That coupled with the fact that, you know, we had kids working not only with literary UEB, but also with, um, charts and graphs and, you know, other things that are just beyond just, you know, reading text. I really felt like it pulled in a lot of skills. And other than that, I got to go around with my group to some of uh, the different activities. We did go to the library, which, you know, is always a favorite place of ours. Mm -hmm. Uh, NLS, we got to go work on some crafting. Um, I noticed as well, like, you know, there were a lot of good expanded core skills that were being brought in, um, like, you know, with the crafting fine motor skills, of course, you know, being able to uh, put up a tent that's, you know, leisure recreation. So um, yeah, yeah. just thought it was terrific. Yeah. Yeah. I will second all of that. Um, we haven't done a school-wide event on on this scale in a while because of the, you know, a lot of it was the pandemic and, you know, being virtual and things like that. So it's finally good to do something like that, to have the staff pull together and, and, put this together for the students and then, you know, see the students go through the day and, and, uh, do some real tangible things. Uh, it was, it was really fun. So big shout out to our staff and, and students for an excellent, excellent day. We had a lot of fun. Anything else anybody want to add before we go on to the next segment? Well, I mean, I think we'll have to update you on April with the results That's for right. the competitors. That's a good point. We sent our test to California to be graded by the National Braille Institute. And um, I feel really good about that. Uh, one, grading <laughs> takes a long time. Um, and when you're doing, we had 28 kids involved. So uh, that would have taken us a while. But they'll go, you know, we'll send it in and they'll grade it. And we'll get our results back around April and we will have an award ceremony and maybe some more good food. I was uh, say, maybe one thing the kids could mention is uh, the bags that Cloverdick sent for us. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, Amy, what was in your goodie bag? Um, they have, they put a lot of fun things in there. Um, so, firstly, they set up this thing. They called it an emergency s'mores kit. Mm-hmm. So, Gave you all the stuff you needed for that. Uh, then we got, and actually, I was help. I, I'm also involved in helping prepare this. Uh, 3D Model Club printed out a bunch of models, 3D printed models. Uh, the 3D Model Club here at OSSB printed a bunch of models for Braille Challenge participants to take home with them. Uh, based on the camping theme, there was one of like an animal's 
print. I think we had a couple maps in there. Just a bunch of neat things in there. They gave us a set of Braille Uno cards. I'm a little biased towards that. I love Braille Uno cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were some gift cards in there, too. Gift cards, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, we cleaned up. The emergency s'more kit, I, I, I thought that all the students were supposed to donate their s'mores kits to me, but I, I guess that's not the case. We had some nice opening and closing remarks from uh, Anthony, too. Yeah, yeah, Anthony Ferraro. Check him out on YouTube. He's a was a wrestler in high school and college and judo champion and um, just a very motivated person. And one of his lines he said yesterday is, the only disability there is, is a bad attitude. And uh, it's very true. Very true. So, yeah, it was great to, to have his remarks. So, it was a wonderful day. We haven't had this segment for a while. It's time to bring it back. The Alumni Focus. Joining me now, Mr. Brett Frazee. Brett, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you very much. Brett, when were you at OSSB? Like a time span. I attended there from uh, 1975-76 school year and graduated exactly 10 years later, class of 86. What we're going to do is we're going to start out with what you're doing now, and we're going to circle back to what you know your OSSB days okay how's that sound all right all right so where are you living at now and what are you doing to make a living well right now i'm actually still living in the same hometown as i was back then toronto ohio okay and i do uh small engine repair small engine repair well you're kind of a minority i don't know how many blind people or low vision people are doing small engine repair there's been a lot that have trained for it, and there are some that do it. I think mm. I'm the one that probably have pursued it maybe the longest. Yeah. Did you get any of your training through OSSB, or did OSSB help yeah, you? Yeah, when I was going there my latter years, uh, Chuck uh, Whitman had a course on it, which kind of opened the door a little bit. And then after I had left OSSB, I had attended Columbus State Community College, Mm-hmm. which at the time would have been CTI. And then I I had gotten to CTI right around the time they were making their changeover to uh, Columbus State. And I took automotive repair. Okay. And that really didn't pan out. However, that was a ground base for basic principle. Okay. I had stopped that in like 89. You know, okay. I, I left out of Columbus State and came back to Toronto and then I always tinkered with uh, mowers and stuff here when, you know, my latter years. After I graduated to school, you know, the early or mid-80s, upper 80s, and went to a joint vocational school as an adult student in 90 for two years and picked up the basics, the rest of it there, and then uh, just kind of learned it from there. And I had some friends that worked on them and I learned from them. And I went through a Kohler factory training school in 90, 94. Mm. And then in 96, I took a job at a tool rental 
which was basically their service man. Anything that was rented out before it went back out onto the rental floor, it had to go through me. And my job there basically was to prep the equipment for re-rent. Okay. Make any necessary repairs. Basically prep it to go back on on re-rent. Yeah. How long were you there? I was there until 2002 when the business closed, when the boss died. And then I worked at Toronto Auto Parts after that for quite some time. And then I took a leave of absence there in 15. Mm-hmm. The The job was basically the same. You know, I did small engine repair at uh, Toronto Auto Parts. I took yeah. a leave of absence in 15 because, so, you know, we had fa- family issues going on there. And then I went back for a little bit in 17. Right. All right. And then in 18, I left again because of an illness that I had. Mm. And I just kind of more or less just do it here and a little bit down there. I'll go down there and help. Yeah. Yeah. So who are you working for now? Uh, pretty much now. I just pretty much do it myself. Oh, so you're like self-contracting small engine repair. Yeah. And then I'll help them if needed down there. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So let's go back to 1980s. And talk about your coursework that you did with Chuck Whitman, because we don't have a small engine repair at OSSB now. So can you tell us what that was like? That was done, basic classroom stuff. Chuck walked through you on that. He started you out on, on, I remember specifically, we were working on lawn boy engines that he had. They were school mods, and they were the older D-series lawn boys and basically he worked you through system by system and then eventually part of your test was you tore one of them down to the last nut and bolt and put it back together oh man so you had to completely strip it down uh so that it was just yeah, nothing but they were off the deck they were just the engines so, so they weren't on the deck were they like mounted on engine stands or how'd that work yeah, he had these little stands that, you know, they were actually made in the class, you know. Well, okay. our class didn't make them, but they were made special things that would actually bolt the engine to the stand so that you could work on it. Yeah. Okay. Test stands, if you will. Sure. And they had a system there where you were learning this stuff. It was what they called the Ken Cook series, and they were on these, I call them combination eight-track players, film strip players. Yeah. Because they took this rather large cartridge that was a combination eight-track tape slash film strip. Yeah, and what that what did that do? That basically walked you through, you know, the particular units. There were, they were a series Oh, so it was Ken like a Cook series. So it's an audio recording that told you kind of what to do for yeah, each step. You, you, I got you. You kind of did the lab thing. You watched the film and you kind of did it as you did it. Okay. And it would talk about tear down of like a, of a carburetor and it would run a few minutes and then pause while you did that. And then when you got to that part, you unpaused and you watched the, the, now, mind you, it was not a movie. It was it was still pictures. Sure. Okay. 
If they were to do something like that now, it would kind of be like almost like watching a YouTube video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're talking talking technology, the 60s and the 70s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, the same kind of premise. So what else were you into at OSSB? Well, just the basic things that any normal kid was into then. Yeah. I didn't do any of the sports. Okay. That was going to be my kind of follow-up. Did you do any sports or music or any of the extracurriculars that were going on back then? Not really. I didn't really take an interest in that. I know many did. I was one of the ones really that didn't. So you were just doing academics and small engine repair? Yeah. And then just your basic after-school stuff that most kids did, you know, after school. Especially when you got into the later years. So, what you know, going back to your high school days, can you kind of run us through a typical day that you had at the school? Like, y'all had to get up at, you know, what, 6.30 or? That was kind of basically how it went. You know, you you roomed. Now, in them days. Yeah, how many did you have in a room? You had more than, well, you had more than two in a room. Some of the rooms had two. Some people had three. Some rooms had four. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, now, obviously, we're going way back before the uh, the new cottages came into play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, wh- and, which cottages were you in when you were in your older years? Well, my older years, I was in the B cottages. I yeah. B2 up until... Seventh and eighth grade, I was in B2, and then freshman on through, I was in B1. Yeah, so down there by the gym. Yeah. Well, okay. actually, B1 was actually clear almost down by the staff building, actually. Yeah, 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 that's right. The staff building was considered an E building, and then, you know, superintendent's house was down beyond that. Right. In the staff building, did you guys have uh, some rec staff that were working when you were there? Yeah, a lot of the rec staff there at the time were actually... Uh, students that were attending OSU that actually were on the rec staff there and, and uh, during my time there, at least in my high school years, uh, Sharon Shaw was the recreation director then. Yeah. She kind of oversaw the whole recreation thing. Okay. At the time. Yeah. And yeah. in the staff building of my time, there was the honor apartment, which was on that first level of the uh, staff building and Susan Hickey was another one that was uh, a college student she kind of oversaw the honor apartment yeah so that was like um, students could live there with less supervision and work on independent living skills and stuff like that right right that was more in fact you really didn't have anybody telling you what to do when you was in there that was actually like you would see it in Real life. Wow. You know, when you yeah. got out of there and got on your own. So did you have to go down to Graceland and get your own groceries and stuff like that? And... Oh, actually what we would do is we, at the time, we would we would place an order for what we're going to have for the week for our menu. And then we would submit that to the kitchen, you know, and they would submit that to the people back in the storeroom and then... You went up there and picked that up as a grocery order and took that back to the apartment and put the stuff away and used it, used it accordingly. Gotcha. Right. If you ran out, what would you do? <laughs> well, you just request more. <laughs> Starve, 
request. But what more. I would do is I would just plan for what was happening and just would get more just in the event somebody really liked what we had. No, I got you. Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. And then good. if you want snack food or whatever, you know, you do that. But, you know, a lot of times if you wanted snack food, you – if you had your off-campus traveling pass or whatever, you would you would go and get it accordingly. Yeah. So what kind of pass did you have? I, at the time, you know, up until my senior year, I had uh, Graceland and surrounding stores. Okay. Now, you said up until your senior year. Did you expand on that in your senior year or did they? Well, senior year is when I went through with uh, Rob Mills, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mobility. Yeah, parapetology with Rob. And earned earned the unlimited. Oh, good for you. All right. So you could go anywhere in I Columbus. Yeah, good good job. Yep. Learned the bus system, and, and to this day I still use it when I go to Columbus. Okay. Anytime I get on a Coda bus now, I can hear him. Look at the number on the bus, you know. And, <laughs> and then, yeah. of course, those that I have friends that, that live in Columbus, and if I'm like at the reunion and or wherever. Well, you know, Brett, you're pretty successful and – doing your small engine repair and you've, you know, you're doing real well. What advice would you give to our underclassmen and our seniors that are going to graduate soon? You know, if you first and foremost, don't let anybody tell you that you can't. Don't. Yep. Can't never could. Can't never could. Exactly. Right. I hear that. I mean, if somebody's going to, you know, like if you got, if you want to pursue something like that within reason, don't let somebody just say you can't do it because you can't see. But I'd um, say overall my time at OSSB, it was, it was fun. It was a learning experience. And like I said, I did learn there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And you were there for a good long time, a good 10 years. Well, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your experiences with, uh, the podcast audience and you know i'm glad to do it you're a great addition to to start this segment off again uh, it's been a while since we've had an alumni focus on the podcast so thank you for giving up your time this evening and you know even though we're trapped yeah, not a problem i look yeah. forward to seeing you in columbus this year hey man we're gonna be there at your reunion and uh Looking forward to it as well. So thank you very much. And, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing, you're, you know, you're getting it done, doing a great job. I will do that. And I really appreciate you having me on there tonight and to all the alumni associations and the folks out there listening. It's been a pleasure doing that for you guys. And uh, all I can say is uh, my, remember my piece of advice to those don't let them tell you they can't. Can't never could. Can't never could and uh, trust in the Lord. There you go. All right. Well, thank you, Brett. Hey, you're welcome. Let's head down to the multi-purpose room and discuss the happenings of this year's basketball season with Mr. Lee and Mr. Heath. Uh, yeah. Hey, Mr. Heath. I, I just came over here uh, to ask you a few questions. Um, sure. about Yeah, about basketball. Yeah. Uh, first question being, if I'm not mistaken, basketball usually isn't a thing here at OSSB. You are right. Yeah, this is our first year of doing basketball for high school. 
um, last year, uh, Coach uh, Head Coach uh, Lee Mascarello, Mr. Lee did um, basketball, but we usually do wrestling, but because of close contacts, um, we're not doing wrestling last year or this year. So we switched to basketball, and we're planning on going back to wrestling next year. Okay. And we had uh, we had about uh, five or six uh, uh, players for basketball this year, and um, you know that were consistently there. And we, Coach uh, Lee and I, worked on uh, skills and uh, the rules of the game. Yeah. Since basketball is a new thing yep. for OSSB, why was basketball your guys' next well, choice? For starters, it's an amazing sport. Right. So I, I think um, because there was no wrestling, we just people, students are always clamoring for to play basketball in the gym a lot. And I think it's something that I figured we could work on, even kids with low vision and some kids with no vision. Just with some extra help and some modifications. You know, I think basketball is something that they see on TV and they hear the names. LeBron James, Kobe, Seth Curry, all that. You know, and so it's something they can relate to. And then, so I thought it'd be fun to do, do something with that. Um, I personally love it. I played basketball all the way through 10th grade when I lost my vision. Oh, so it's, it's stuck with you for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I first lost my vision at 16, I couldn't play at all. And it was super frustrating. But as I worked on it and learned how to modify it, learned how to change my game a little bit, mm -hmm. some of those things never, never, never left me. Right. The ability to dribble, to pass, to know the rules, to handle the ball. Those things you can do with really low vision. And you can practice on your own at home. Right. So I think me and Mr. Heath are talking about it. Mr. Heath coached a little bit of basketball in, his, in the last 10 years at uh, local schools. Yeah. And so we just thought we could do the best we can. And I yeah. think the kids had fun with it. Yeah, yeah it looked we're like gonna, it, We're going to give out some awards in here. Yeah, it looked like it worked out for you guys. Yeah, everybody, was, everybody, yeah. Had, everybody improved and had a good time. Exactly. Yeah. So let's do the we'll do awards. Yeah, know. we got some awards. Tamis Trot is, you know, cheerleading in basketball is slowly starting to end. We figured we might ask you just a few questions that uh, the team and I were just a little curious about okay. uh, regarding cheerleading. So first off, is there like an exercise phase before you guys actually perform? There are exercises that are recommended. Recommended. Right. But a lot of them have to do with making sure that you're stretched um, a lot of lower body because that's where all of our power comes from. Mm -hmm. um, vocal exercises too, being able to project our voices without screaming. So cheer is not screaming, it's just being able to project your voice from your diaphragm. So that's not really a physical exercise, but it's more a mental and an internal one. Right. <laughs> so it's more than meets the eye. Correct. Quite literally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, next question, what was the preparations for all this like? A lot of it um, has to do with timing. We had to stay within a certain time parameter, which is three minutes. Mm -hmm. And our, so our conditioning has to do with staying within a certain time parameter. We have three minutes to get a routine done. Right. And within that three minutes, 
we have a musical selection that cannot be more than one third of our routine. So it's really fine tuning. Um, we do crowd pleasers, which is involving the crowd. We do a dance routine, which is no vocalizations, but we're dancing to a pre-selected song. And then we do a few other motions and movements and chants and cheers. So all of that usually can span up to 10 minutes and we have to condense it to three. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a lot more complicated than it looks. Oh, yeah. You should come out and try it. I'd rather not. <laughs> Larry, you'd make a good cheerleader. <laughs> it's not my cup of tea, personally. What was the hardest thing for you to try to teach to the cheerleaders as a coach? The dance moves weren't hard for them to learn. They all picked that up very quickly. Choreography, cheers, and chants. The hardest thing to teach these girls, which I wish that they had more of was confidence, because they're all beautiful and smart and talented. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say confidence, just believing in their self. Like they, they had the motions, they had the movements, they had the vocalizations, but believing that they had that power and that ability to do it. I mean, it definitely showed when we finally performed, but to have it consistently would have been wonderful. So I think the hardest thing for me was, you know, not believing it myself because I knew it, but getting them to believe it. Right. Cheerleading, yeah, it's more than physical fortitude. With something like this, it looks like you also need a lot of mental fortitude as well. I think I want to add to my answer, though. Getting them to remember the right shoes. Oh, the right shoes. Getting them to remember the right shoes was the hardest thing. Oh, uh, yeah, that seems like that'd be an important aspect as well. Right, you don't cheer in flip-flops or crocs. Nope. Well, uh, Ms. Trot, that was all of the questions I had. Uh, thank you for giving the team a chance to come out here and just ask you a lot of these questions. It's been at the back of our mind for a good while. Well, thank you for taking the time to ask me those questions, Larry. You're very welcome. Take care now. You too. Harriet Tubman, affectionately called Moses, was one of the most distinguished abolitionists of the 19th century. She not only escaped from the clutches of slavery herself, but returned to the South on 19 occasions and led over 300 slaves to their freedom. Short in stature, experiencing recurring seizures, and even visual impairment, Harriet Tubman did not allow any of her adversities to deter her from helping her neighbor and fighting the evil of slavery. Resourceful and apt, Tubman had a variety of strategies in her toolkit that made her forays, as she called them, successful. She set out on Saturday nights, cognizant that her wanted notice wouldn't go out until the following Monday morning. She taught herself to read, and this even saved her from being recaptured in one instance. She made connections from within the Underground Railroad and learned the routes through the winding woods and mountains. Tubman's exploits extended even further. She served the Union Army during the American Civil War. Tubman began her service in humble fashion. As a cook, then a nurse, she was soon promoted to Union spy and used her intimate knowledge of the American South to lead raids on the plantations. She received praise from U.S. presidents and other acclaimed abolitionists like Frederick Douglass. Wanted posters were displayed with Tubman's portrait and rewards offering $40,000 or more. Though we consider Tubman to be one of the great heroes of the 19th century, and this is most certainly the view of the OSSB podcast team, 
Many during Tubman's own epic considered her to be an outlaw. OSSB English students analyzed an article and a primary source document to determine how two authors writing informatively on the same topic form differing viewpoints and can use the same details to support opposing arguments. With a stroke of creativity, and to honor Tubman's legacy as part of Black history, we decided to retell this narrative as a courtroom drama. The podcast team is pleased to present you with Harriet Tubman on trial. Court is now in session. A courtroom, the dead of midnight. All rise. This is the case of the court versus Harriet Tubman for egregious charges of harboring runaway slaves and depleting the southern economy. The defendant is called to the stand. Speak your case clearly and remember you are under oath. A southern lawyer begins the interrogation process. State your name and occupation. My name is Harriet Tubman. My given name was Arminta Ross. But of course, I had to change that when I made my escape. (laughs) Some of my colleagues call me Moses. I guess you could call me a traveler. This woman is an outlaw. She's a conductor of the Underground Railroad. She is depleting our southern economy. She is to blame for the shortage of our labor supply. You call me an outlaw. Others call me a hero. I rescued 300 slaves from abuse and the mistreatment of their overseers. You don't even know the half of the abuse I went through and what my people still suffer under southern slavery. Tell the whole truth. What is the extent of these forays, as you call them? Listen, sir, it's not easy to walk 169 miles through the mountains and woods. And for 19 trips, might I add, escorting 300 souls to their freedom. Though some of them wanted to turn back, I can proudly say that I've never lost a single passenger. Well... If you've rescued so many like you claim, how come it's taken us this long to find you? Well, my wanted poster says I'm illiterate. That little lady reading the book right over there? It couldn't be me. Nope, not me. If I could read, that would be a threat to your whole system, wouldn't it? I won't hear it. You're the one who threatens, folks. Word is, is that you've held some of your fugitives at gunpoint. The lawyer reveals a weapon. The jury shrieks in horror. Order. 
We'll maintain order in my courtroom. That is true. I'm not a perfect person. Nobody is. We couldn't risk anyone being captured. Better to be safe than sorry. And I'm sure you'll find other faults with me, too. I always set out on my forays on a Saturday night. I had the wherewithal to know those runaway slave ads don't go out until the following Monday. I took my master's horse and buggy for the first leg of the journey. I suppose next you'll be calling me a thief? Brandishing a weapon, stealing, and may the court note that you stood in the way of discipline. Many have said you were always problematic as a teenager. You say I'm problematic. If that blunt object hadn't hit me in the head, it would have hit that poor field hand. I'm fine risking myself so long as one of my brothers or sisters isn't hurt. It was far more than a blow I took that day. My whole life, I've had to endure these fainting spells, and the blow took some of my eyesight, too. Of course, none of that made those forays any easier for me. Don't belabor the point, ma'am. We know you're helping the slaves escape to their freedom. Mm, but did that ever stop me? I don't think so. Enough with your distractions. Please explain your involvement with the union efforts to the court, please. Gladly. I helped fight in the Civil War. I started out as a cook, nursed the soldiers back to health. I did whatever I could for the sake of freedom. What most people don't know is that I ended up serving as a spy, leading raids, and even burning down plantations. It's a big leap going from field hand to a military spy. Oh, but did that ever stop me? I don't think so. We will, and I repeat, will get you eventually to ensure this we placed a forty thousand dollar award on your head we southerners will band together it's only a matter of time oh did that ever stop me i don't think so the evidence is overwhelming this woman is an abolitionist What is the verdict? You decide. Harriet Tubman, hero or outlaw? That's all we had for this month. Let's have a quick recap of what we discussed. We discussed the excitement that was the Braille Challenge. 
we also hit you up with some obscure and fun facts for the month. We caught you up with both our basketball and cheerleading coaches for the season. And we even snagged a visit from humanware personnel, Brian Goomer and Joel Zimba. On top of this, we took some time to praise our great nurses while also introducing a new member as well. Last but definitely not least, we did a radio theater of the popular Harriet Tubman. Thank you for tuning in, and we all hope to see you in the next issue of the OSSB Podcast. Take care, everybody.